This is our last week in our series on doubt. Um, so throughout this, we've been going through topics like what doubt is, what doubt is not. So some of the things doubt isn't is it's not skepticism. So it's not just denying everything and being like, I don't believe that, I don't believe that, I don't believe that. It's also not unbelief, saying that I don't believe in God. Other topics like belief leads to action. So what we believe shows through what we do. Some things like how, like where doubts come from. Comes from hesitation sometimes, meaning we may know what the correct answer is or the correct thing to do, but then we're just like, is that the, is that the right thing? Should I do that? Like when you're talking to that friend and you know you probably should tell them about God, but then you're like, what if they think I'm weird? So that's one thing, hesitation. The other thing is being of two minds. And it's similar to hesitation, because it's like, on one hand, I want to do this, and then on one hand, I want to do that. And then we also went through several other causes of doubt. Some of the big ones being, how do I know I'm saved? That's a big one, especially when you're young in your faith. Ow. And then, how do I know I'm good enough? And one of the cool things that we talked about for that one is that we can let our inadequacies push us towards God because the fact is we're not good enough. We never will be, but God is. So thus, I know that my inadequacies just glorify him even more. And so one of the biggest things we've been trying to communicate with this series is that doubt is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, Oftentimes, Christians get the idea that they will be looked down upon or even considered heretical if they ever have doubts, and especially if they express them in church. And I don't really know why that's become the norm in Christianity, because adult, adult leaders in here, let me see your raise, let me raise y'all's hands. Have y'all ever had a doubt in your faith? Huh? Yeah, that's me raising my hand, and every single one of them is raising theirs as well. These are all godly men and women, and they have all had doubts. So, rather, rather than viewing doubts as this bad thing and being taboo that we can't express to others, we can view them as a good thing to push us closer to God. And so why is it that we're so afraid to admit our doubts? Oftentimes that we associate it and link it directly to our faith. So in our minds, we think, okay, if I'm having this doubt, this means I don't believe in Jesus anymore. So it means I'm not a Christian. And then it just kind of goes down the rabbit hole from there. So we become afraid to express these doubts to others. But in reality, there's probably at least five other people in this room that are having the exact same doubts as you right now. And if we could just only be open and honest with each other, we would know that. But instead, we, we build this wall and act like everything's fine. And we're all just doubting by ourselves. And it can be terrifying. So, as Gary DeSalvo said, we've got a big God that is not afraid for us to bring our doubts before him and ask our questions. God's not afraid of our concerns. He's bigger than them all. Which, when you start to think about it, is amazing. So today, we will look at one last cause of doubt and then some practical applications for overcoming it. All right. So 
Your faith affects your everyday life, but your faith is also affected by your everyday life. And your faith isn't like some type of watertight compartment insulated by everything else. And that's by Alistair McGrath, the guy that we've been doing this book series through. And it's oftentimes the trials of life that bring the biggest doubts in our mind. And a great example of that is the hostility towards Christianity and the current culture around us. So at some point, the U.S. used to be considered a Christian nation, and while that may have had its own problems, Christianity was generally viewed as a positive thing, and it was really considered the norm to be Christian in the United States. And in today's culture, all those values are being pushed away. And they're slowly and slowly getting pushed out for more sec- secular things. For example, are any of y'all allowed to, that are any of y'all that go to public school allowed to pray in classes anymore? Nope. Do what? Okay. <laughs> All right. You go to the Shed Academy. That doesn't count. <laughs> um, so yeah, stuff like prayer in schools. Even trying to take out one nation under God and the pledges is just everything is slowly getting pushed further and further away from Christianity. And again, McGrath says Western culture is going through a phase which is not just non-Christian, but actually anti-Christian, meaning that in a lot of ways as Christians, we might actually be looked down upon, mocked, hated, or even persecuted for our beliefs. Because today the culture is not just saying, no, we don't want to be Christian, but we don't want you to be Christian either. They're saying, we don't want any part of it in our country. And for any, any Christian, whether you are mature in your faith or not, being looked down upon and mocked for your beliefs can be discouraging. When all your friends are being like, why would you believe that? That's stupid. So it can lead you to think that, is this really the right thing to believe? It seems like everyone is against it, so how can it possibly be the right thing? And in John 15, 18, Jesus actually warned us about this. He states, if the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. He goes on to say that we are no longer of the world because if we were of the world, it would love us. And because we are of him, we are different from the world. We should, our lives should look very different from what the world's lives look like. And it's because of that, because we are of Jesus, that the world looks down on us and hates, and hates Christianity. So, have you ever heard of the um, procedure called a lobotomy? Raise your hands. Okay, just a few. Um, so, this was a popular procedure in the 40s, um, and what they did is they stuck an ice pick through the person's eye and wiggled around and disconnected um, parts of the brain from other parts of the brain so that they would no longer function. And this was considered like the end-all, be-all of medical treatment for the mentally ill. Just go in and kind of disconnect part of their brain. And it kind of worked to an extent, but it also had like a lot of side effects, um, like really bad side effects, um, you know, because they're missing part of their brain now. Um, And it was kind of disconnected with an ice pick. But it was considered to be like the medical procedure. Pretty much all of the medical community accepted it. And you might be wondering, like, why is he bringing that up? It's the same with beliefs. 
Just because the majority believes it does not mean it's true. Just because the majority believed that sticking an ice pick through someone's eye and wiggling around in their brain was a good medical procedure does not mean it was true. And just because the majority of the world does not believe in Christianity does not mean that they're right. I definitely lost my place. Uh, so, in many cases, when people do reject Christianity, there are people who do not totally understand it or have even misunderstood it. And, for example, one of the biggest misunderstandings is that Christianity is just a list of rules, a bunch of do's and don'ts. You must do this, you cannot do that, and that's all people see. And so people look at it from the outside and they don't quite understand that Christianity is so much more than just do's and don'ts. And unfortunately, that particular misunderstanding misses the biggest piece of all, a personal relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, which is the best part of it. We get to have a personal relationship with the guy who created the entire universe. Not only that, but came and died for our sins. And that's the best part. So it's in these instances where it seems like the world is against your faith. Rather than seeing it as a reason to doubt your faith, see it as a privileged opportunity to have a conversation with someone about what Christianity is really about. You get to have the opportunity to tell them about the love of Jesus Christ. You get to have the opportunity to get rid of those misconceptions and show them what it's really all about. And you may even get the opportunity to lead them to Christ. And additionally, the persecution of the church is nothing new. And admittedly, we don't have it very bad nowadays. We might get mean looks and stuff, but it's nothing like the um, early church that literally got persecuted and killed. So if you know anything about the early church, there was a lot of persecution. They would be heavily ridiculed and sometimes even killed. And in fact, the term Christian, it was originally a derogatory term used to make fun of people who follow Jesus. It means little Christ, which is funny that anyone ever thought that was really derogatory. It's like, you think I'm like Jesus? Thank you. But yeah, it was originally derogatory, um, and it was used to make fun of him and put Christians down. Um, and then we kind of saw that, and we're like, yeah, that's a good word. We should be many Christ. Yeah. Um, so anyway, if you ever need encouragement, just look to the early church Look at them and see how they saw that being persecuted, being ridiculed, being mocked, was all worth it for the sake of the gospel. They saw every word that they had to endure as completely worth it for being, for being able to know Christ and to pursue him. So, for the second part, um, that was our last kind of cause of doubt is pressure from the outside world. And for the second part, we're going to talk about different ways of dealing with doubt. Um, because again, we're not, one of the things we've been saying throughout this entire curriculum is that doubt is not necessarily a bad thing. It can be used to grow your faith. But we also don't want to just sit in our doubt. We don't want it to be stagnant as a constant part of our life. 
Um, so with that in mind, the first thing we can do is build a network of support. This is what the church is designed for. While our faith is deeply personal, it's never private. And unfortunately, we get that wrong a lot. We think our faith should be personal and private, meaning, yes, it's a relationship between me and Jesus, but you don't need to know about it. But that's what the church is designed for. We are designed to live in biblical community. Meaning, I have people here at the church that I am able to go and share my struggles with. I'm able to share my problems with. I'm able to share my doubts with. And that's what it's designed for. And why? Like, that's exactly why we go to church. And don't get me wrong. When I'm saying go to church, I'm not meaning just showing up on Sundays. Well, that's good. We should definitely do that. I'm talking about getting involved in a biblical community. Like I was saying, it's there that if you have questions, you can ask them. If you have doubts, someone, someone can research them with you. If you're just down, someone can help lift you up. That's what the church is designed for. So I would implore you all to get plugged into biblical community, especially for my seniors that are about to graduate. I implore you, make finding a biblical church and getting plugged in a priority in your life. Don't go up to college and be like, I'll figure it out. Make it a priority. Trust me, college gets busy. You will get swamped, and then guess where church ends up? Yeah, at the bottom of the list. Make it a priority. Find a biblical church that teaches the Bible and get plugged in. And again, I don't just mean going to church. I mean find a group of people that you can trust, that you can share with, that they can lift you up, that you can lift them up. And again, if you're not the person that is having doubts, be the person that's lifting someone else up. That's what the church is designed for. It's not always about what you get out of it, but what you can also give to other people. So you can be that person that's lifting other, other people up and encouraging them and diving into Scripture with them and researching stuff that they have questions about. Um, so that is, the first, that is the first way that we can help overcome doubt is build a support network. The second way is to not get too preoccupied with doubt. Alistair McGrath again says, don't worry too much about doubt. Doubt focuses attention on ourselves and our anxieties and stops us from trusting God. I don't know about y'all, but if I ever have a doubt about something, it kind of becomes like the only thing I think about. And it just kind of replays in my head over and over again, over and over, and then it distracts me from, from everything else, so I'm not really reading my Bible like I should be, um, and then I'm not praying like I should be because I'm thinking about this thing, and then guess what? Because I'm not doing those things, I'm not communicating with God, the doubt just gets worse. And it becomes this vicious cycle, at least for my life. Y'all may be completely different, but it becomes this vicious cycle where I get further away from God because I have this doubt and I'm not talking to him. I'm not reading my Bible like I should be. And it just gets worse and worse. And if we become preoccupied, nope, I already said that. Um, so it kind of reminds me of Matthew 14 when Peter walks on the water. The disciples are in a boat when they see Jesus walking on the water towards them. And Peter calls out to Jesus, and he says, tell me to come, come to you on the water. And Jesus does exactly that. He tells Peter to come out on the water. And Peter obeys him, steps out on the water, eyes focused on Jesus, and starts walking towards him. 
But then he, sends, he sees the wind and the waves, and he begins to sink into the water. And the second Peter took his eyes off Jesus is when he began to sink. While he was in the boat, the waves and the wind, they were still there. They were there before he ever got out onto the water. But he had his eyes pinned on Jesus that entire time. When he asked Jesus to calm out in the boat, the waves were there. He knew about them, but his eyes were focused on Jesus. So it's the second that he took his eyes off that he began to sink. And the same is really true in our Christian lives. We have our eyes pinned on Jesus. We know despite the wind and the waves around us, it's all going to be okay. Don't get me wrong. We may be going through the wind and the waves crashing down around us. But we know in the end that because of Jesus, it is all going to be okay. So take a lesson from Peter. And during those trials and doubts, keep your eyes pinned firmly on Jesus. Don't let those trials and doubts distract you from who he is and what he has done. And not only that, but we can use these doubts in our mind as an invitation to grow, to grow further in our faith. Gary DeSalvo said in a sermon a while back, doubt is not a problem, but wallowing is. Quit wallowing and turn to the Savior who can give you answers. So doubt's not a problem. But just sitting there going, poor me, I don't know the answer. I don't know what to do. That is a problem. Because guess what? Every single statement in that sentence was about me. Poor me, I don't know what to do. How can I help myself? It's not about God. That's who matters. That's who we need to be keeping our eyes on. And so we don't just have to sit and wallow. We can do something about it. Again, if we have that support network, we can go and ask people. Or better yet, you can go research stuff on your own. Take a moment. Dive into Scripture. Research what you're having that doubt about. And if you can't find it or you don't understand, go ask someone. Any leader in here would be overjoyed to have a deep theological discussion with you. So please, go ask them or ask your friends. If your friend doesn't know, ask another friend. So the last one is to develop spiritual disciplines. And depending on what author you're reading, there's going to be anywhere from like 10 to 12 spiritual disciplines. Um, so if you read someone and they're not like the exact list that I'm talking about, that's okay. Um, so they're typically something around the lines of Bible intake, prayer, worship, evangelism, serving, stewardship, fasting, silence and solitude, journaling, and learning. And again, those may vary a little bit depending on what you're reading. Um, but all those things are on that list, I look at those and I was like, yeah, those are, those are things that I should be doing. I should definitely be reading my Bible and praying, and I should definitely be um, serving others like Christ has called me to, and I should definitely be spending alone time with God in silence and solitude where he is my one focus, and I should definitely be learning about him. Like, I'm looking at these things, and they're all like, yeah, those are good things I should be doing, and the problem is a lot of people look at those and they start to think it's legalism 
because they're like, okay, did I read today? Did I pray today? Did I fast today? Did I do blah, 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 blah? And it can easily turn into that, but the goal of spiritual disciplines is not to be an ends unto itself, but a means to bring us closer to God. And that's how we have to use it, or else it can become legalistic. Alistair McGrath states, spiritual disciplines is a, is a means of taking God seriously enough to ensure we spend time with him. Despite all the pressure on us, it means acknowledging that we cannot hope to keep going as Christians without the continual support of God, thus structuring our lives to allow that support to get through. So in other words, we are setting apart time specifically to be with God, whether that be in prayer, reading your Bible, worship, silence, and just meditating on what God has done for you. And I cannot stress enough how important these things are. They are vital to your Christian life. And just a few tips. Be consistent in these. Find a time that works for you. Um, specifically right now, I'm talking about reading your Bible and praying. But find a time that works for you. Some people like reading in the morning. Some people like reading at night. Personally, I'm not a morning person, and I'm probably pretty likely to sleep through my five alarm clocks. So reading in the morning, not a great option for me, um, unless I want to be reading as I'm running out the door trying to get to work. Hi, Cody. That's my boss. <laughs> so be consistent. Find a time that works for you. And again, for those, I've heard both pros and cons for reading in the morning versus at night. Um, but find a time that works for you. And... If you're trying to get into reading the scripture, maybe you don't have that, that habit set up yet. Try out a few different ways. There's a lot of different ways to study scripture. A lot of them. So we have two posted on the church website um, that I like a lot. And so you can try those, but there's a lot of different ways to study scripture. But the important thing is that you get into the word and you study the word and you apply it to your life. Because if we're not in the word, if we're not praying, if we're not talking to God, it's not much of a relationship with him at all. And if you're anything like me, that's just going to drive those, those doubts sky high because you're not connected to the one who supplies us and sustains us with life. Um, so I could not find a picture of this particular spider, um, but it's a pretty cool spider. So it's called a water spider. And it lives at the bottom of ponds and rivers. And the weird thing about it is that um, it breathes air just like regular spiders, but it lives at the bottom of a pond. And it just kind of chills out down there. So what it does is it makes this like bell-shaped web. And it somehow traps water inside a web, drags it down to the bottom of the pond. Sorry, it traps air in a web and drags it down to the bottom of a pond and deposit it, deposits it in this little bell. And then it just, it just lives in there. Um, it'll jump out and hunt, and hunt things, um, but it lives in this bell. And whenever that air supply starts running low, what does it do? It goes right back up to the top, gets more water, and comes right back down. And I think it's a pretty good analogy for our Christian faith. In this case, the air is the life source that this spider needs. But for us, it's Jesus. We need to be constantly connected to that source. We need to constantly go back for more. Because like the spider, if we don't, we're going to run out of air. 
and fast, and we need that constant supply to keep us going. So we're going to go into breakout groups, so if y'all will pray with me, and then we can break out. Dear Lord, I thank you for this day, and I pray that through our trials and through our doubts, we will continue to keep our eyes on you, um, that we will continue to know that you are Lord, and that we will just continue to rely on you for everything, um, that we will continue to go back to you because you are our source of life. In Jesus' name, amen. So if y'all do not know where y'all's breakout groups are, y'all can come find me, and I will point you in the right direction. <laughs>